All right, we are continuing um, with our deep dive into Isaiah chapter 6. But we're not going to open with Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to open with some other scripture today. In today's message, atonement for sin, atonement for sin, consuming fire, confession, covering, and also calling. We'll get to calling more next Sunday, but we'll just go ahead and put that at the very end because it's part of the sequence here. Atonement for sin, consuming fire, confession, covering, and calling. Uh, Let's pray together. Lord, as we come before you today, we trust in your grace and we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us by your word as we come together to begin this week, your week, on the Lord's day in your house and turning to your word. But Lord, I pray also that you would, Lord, continue to remind us and inspire us and speak to us throughout every day this week, that we might be in your word, read your word, receive your word, believe your word, and live your word, O holy and glorious God, throughout this week. Let us not stray, O Lord, and discipline us when we do stray, that we might, Lord, repent and return to you and to your word throughout each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So some opening scripture selected from the law, the Torah of God. Beginning with Exodus chapter 19, verse 18. Exodus 19, verse 18. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. Let me repeat that. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because Yahweh, the Lord, Jehovah, had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And then to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, just reading a couple verses here from verse 12 and verse 36. And in between those two verses, just to remind you, verse 24 famously declares as repeated in Hebrews chapter 12, which we read in the call to worship, our God is a consuming fire. But right now, Deuteronomy 4 verses 12 and 36, framing that statement. Moses says, Then Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord, spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And then... Verse 36, out of heaven, he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth, he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And then finally, to Leviticus chapter 17, verse 
11. This is Jehovah, the Lord, Yahweh's word through Moses. For the life, I'll come back to this, literally it's nephesh, soul, for the soul, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, the lifeblood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life, or again, I'll come back to this also, that could be translated for the soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Most people in the world, at least well-intentioned, fairly stable people, if you ask them, they would say they long for the world to be made right. Do you long for the world to be made right? People say they long for justice, goodness, fulfilled purpose, and perfection to prevail. In fact, sometimes even Christians, even Christians who have some modicum of scripture knowledge and understanding of our faith, of theology, will ask me, why didn't God, God who is all sovereign anyway, right? Why didn't God thousands of years ago wipe out all sin, evil, unfulfilled purpose, imperfection and problems and injustice in the world, or at least today. Look, right this very instant, maybe if we pray really hard, it'll happen, this very instant that God, in his holy and awesome and unlimited power, would eliminate all sin, all evil, all injustice, all wrong all wrongdoing, all unfulfilled purpose and wasted, you know, days and lives and imperfection. Well, let's pause for a reality check, folks. Okay, you ready? Sin, evil, injustice, wrong, wrongdoing, imperfection are not just concepts out there somewhere, nor are they even residing and sourced and conduit solely through, you know, those other people, those people who are bad, not like us, right? <laughs> those people out there and those other tribes and those other kind of folks that we don't hang around with much, that we don't like. God's word, Christian, reality check here, God's word teaches that sin, wrongdoing, evil, injustice, unfulfilled purpose, wasted hours, wasted days, imperfection, are alive and well and resident in you and me. So let's put two and two together here. If God, this very instant, wipes away, demolishes all wrong, wrongdoing, sin, imperfection, wasted hours, wasted days, 
unfulfilled purpose, you and I will be eliminated along with the rest. Do you understand what I'm saying? You, although, although those things do not own you, if you're a Christian, those things do not own you, the scripture also says they are residing in you. And there is a fight going on within you. Which of us, in fact, can really, with any kind of credulity at all, claim that we are not even presently this very day struggling with some issues of wrong, injustice, coming from us, sin? Got any sinners here today? <laughs> any, any, any sinners at all? Thank God for his amazing grace. This is not his gospel way, and this is not his gospel plan. At the same time, though, our holy God does take sin, evil, injustice, all kinds of injustice, wrongdoing, unfulfilled purpose, squandering of the good gifts of God. He takes that all very seriously. He takes imperfection very seriously. He takes the consequences, the debt of sin, your sin and mine and the rest of the world, very seriously. But he also personally, this is good news, this is incredible good news. I mean, we don't deserve any of this, but he personally extends his grace and love more seriously and gloriously to engage in these issues than we can even begin to imagine. So, yes, we continue in this deep dive into not only Isaiah 6, but the whole book of Isaiah in the coming months. We are turning our attention increasingly to issues of divine justice, but also divine grace. To human sin and God's forgiveness of human sin. But that's, those are really different things. God and sin and God dealing with sin? I mean, obviously, the easy and simple answer would be God just doesn't deal with sin. We're all gone, right? We look to the possibility, and Isaiah is talking to us about this, about how on the one hand, there's a message of judgment and God's judgment, right? But on the other hand, redemption, new life, and a new creation in which God, through his personal engagement, will move us from here to there, to the new heaven and the new earth. Because right now, let me ask you this personally. If God were to act in judgment this very hour, where do you stand with him? You can say, well, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, yeah, but where, where are you in your sanctification process? I mean, because Jesus just didn't come and waste his time here, right? He came to present his bride spotless and without blemish. And the whole New Testament keeps increasingly calling us to a life of growing holiness. So how much did you grow in your holiness in 2020? Or was it just kind of surviving, survival mode? And how much are you committed to yielding to the Holy Spirit to grow in holiness this year? It's going, it's going to be, to be honest with you, painful in some ways. It's going to involve God's discipline and redirection. This is what we're dealing with when we open, when we're bold enough by the Holy Spirit to open the pages of any of the Bible and certainly the book of Isaiah. As we continue to hear God's word from Isaiah in these coming months, 
God is going to be calling us to learn, maybe some of us for the first time, or to remember more of how the Old Testament and the New Testament confront us with these kind of issues. God's call for us to repent for real and to grow in holiness for real. And as parents, to direct our children, quite frankly, in a different direction than most people in this culture are going in the year 2021. To work differently than some of our co-workers are working. To think and fellowship differently. Responding seriously to God's holiness and glory. Remember, I've been telling you the last few Sundays, you can go back and look at the last couple of sermons. God's holiness and God's glory, his transcendence and also his eminence through his glory, call us to know him and to be reframed in all our lives through this. And speaking of that, today I want to emphasize this message. We've talked about it before, but today it's front and center for us. You've been hearing it from the scripture. God comes to us as fire. God comes to us as fire. In fact, consuming fire. Now, consuming fire can destroy, but it also can refine and make pure. It's a question of God's will, which is predominant, which is sovereign. And then, of course, our response. Where are you with God? Consuming fire destroys, but also can refine and purify by destroying infection and impurity. Anybody want infection and impurity wiped out in you? Well, that's what we're talking about. Fire overwhelms and yet it attracts. You know this about fire, right? Fire, fire draws crowds, but also people are afraid of fire. How, you know, and, and the Bible keeps telling us God is a consuming fire. And God, when he comes to us, comes as fire. How are you going to respond? Um, fire blinds on the one hand, and yet on the other hand is tremendous light and life. Guarantee you this, if you talk to some cavemen number of thousand years ago. It was a big deal when they got fire. Fire is a big gift, but it also has to be respected, seriously respected. And so God, through the ages, talks to us about it, and God literally comes as fire to the Hebrews. And, and catch this, fire turns mass into energy. Did you hear me? Fire turns mass into energy. If you are in any kind of relationship with God, that's what's going on with you. And you'll see the product of that. The Old Testament worship and its sacrificial offering systems, we're talking about this a little bit today related to this whole fire theme because we're also talking about not just fire, but atonement. It's the title of the sermon today. Atonement. These are types pointing to, from the Old Testament, to Jesus and his perfect and complete sacrifice for us. Now, let me just remind you of this. This is something we talk about on Wednesday nights. I can go into that more. This 
uh, this year on Wednesday nights, if some of y'all want me to review some of this, the entire sacrificial system laid out in the first main portion of the book of Leviticus. Remember when we looked at the book of Leviticus, right, and how that flows? A lot of folks just start reading Leviticus. They're like, what is this? I don't understand. But remember, now we've seen the structure of Leviticus in the first 16 chapters with the primary emphasis on blood, by the way, right? And, and moving from all the way through to the, the pinnacle of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, right? In chapter 16, at the end of that first segment. And then you transition 17 through 27 chapters, right? In Leviticus. And remember the linchpin, right? The linchpin passage as you bridge into the whole second segment of where this whole sacrificial system is going, moving us from the blood to the holiness and a communion with God, right? In the second part of Leviticus is this verse, Leviticus 17, 11. For the soul, the nephesh, the life of the flesh is in the lifeblood. And I have given it to you, the Lord says, on the altar to make atonement, literally to pay for, to pay in full for your souls. This is talk of ransom and redemption. For it is the blood that makes atonement for, that pays for, that redeems, that pays the ransom for the soul. Literally, that's where the Hebrew takes us, for the soul. It can also be translated... Uh, by the life, either way, or by the soul, either way. But, but it's, a, it's the atonement for and the redemption of the ransom for souls. <sighs> yeah, Leviticus 1 through 16. And yes, the sacrificial system is definitely dealing with death involved in the sacrifices. But notice God's emphasis. The emphasis is not on death or dead bodies. It's on life and lifeblood bringing you, bringing his people, holiness and life. Again, follow the sequence that we learn from Leviticus. So now, into Isaiah 6. Back into Isaiah 6. Um, let's review verses 1 through 4. If you miss those sermons, go back and listen to them. You get a lot more out of these verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, or in the year of the death of King Uzziah, I saw the Lord. I saw Adonai, the sovereign one, sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the hem of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, remember, burning ones. That's what their name means, the burning ones. The only time we get their specific title in the Old Testament. Each had six wings. With two, he covered or veiled his face. With two, he, the individual seraph being described, he covered his feet and with two, he flew. And one called to another, this to that, one seraph to another, this to that, saying, holy Holy, holy is Jehovah, Yahweh, of the heavenly armies, of the host, Sabaoth. The whole earth is full of his kabod, his glory, the weight of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook. 
at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. The voice of, you catch this, here's what's going on here. We talked about this last Sunday, just bridging into this Sunday. Catch this now. The voice of one seraph. We're not talking about God speaking. God's not speaking at this point. The voice of one servant of the Lord. One of these burning ones. Not all of them together. One. Saying the Trishagion. Only time in the Old Testament. Three. Remember the super superlative. I dug into this last week for you. Super superlative. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. One seraph crying that out. And the foundations of the temple are shaken. By that voice saying those words. Wow. And that leads us into uh, our message focus for today, atonement for sin, consuming fire, confession, covering, and then call. So number one, uh, the sine qua non is definitely God in his holiness is a consuming fire. You want to know God? I hear people say all the time, well, I heard from God. Well, <laughs> did you hear from this God? God who is a consuming fire. Consuming fire. Yeah, consuming fire. God told me to go ahead and get that car, you know, or spend that money, or walk, walk in and commit that crime. Yeah, really? The consuming fire told you that. Consuming fire. Holiness. Last week, we focused on the fact that it is clear from this passage. It's not just the etymological notation of separateness or otherness for God here with the Kadosh, it is, or Kadesh. It's clearly his moral majesty. This is what overwhelms Isaiah. The Lord, not just that he's divine, not just that he's immortal, not just that he's eternal. Those things are all very overwhelming, but centrally the issue is moral and cleanness and lips and word and speech for Isaiah. God in his moral majesty, as Matira puts it, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the heavenly armies. Again, as I said, fire burns away, yet refines and purifies by destroying impurity. Fire overwhelms, yet attracts. Fire is a great blessing, but not easily controllable by us, right? In fact, not controllable by us at all in this case. It blinds, yet brings light and vision. Fire turns mass into energy. And with the ultimate example, at least for me, the classic example, the burning bush through which the Lord attracted and spoke to Moses, Exodus 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not destroyed. This is what happens when you're holy unto the Lord, when you belong to the Lord. The fire consumes, engulfs, yet does not destroy, right? This is the good news of Jesus Christ. So, um, here is the reality if we're going to talk about atonement, we've got to be serious about God, number one. Number two, confession. Confession. Verse five. And I said, oi, woe is me, for I am silenced. 
As I told you last week, the, the, the word here, medeti, um, the, the gama means to be silenced or to be ruined or to be totally eviscerated. You choose your pick, maybe all of the above. I'm totally melted. I'm totally silenced. I cannot speak. And for me, I want to emphasize the speaking because that's where he goes with this. I am a man of unclean, sefatayim lips. Uh, lips or language here, okay? Not just lips. In other words, the language, sefatayim. And I dwell in the midst of unclean people, of unclean sefatayim, language, lips. For my eyes have seen the king and the Lord of hosts. Remember in the year that King Uzziah died, Uzziah died, we got national political crisis. Anybody know about national political crises lately around here? Okay, national political crisis, which brings desperation. Isaiah's been dealing with that, struggling with that issue. As a man of God, he's been struggling with that. Um, what are we going to do now that Isaiah's dying or already dead? We got a national spiritual crisis. Isaiah, because I read, as I've told you, chapter 1, verse 1, seriously, and he prophesied or ministered during at least some significant portion of Uzziah's reign before Uzziah dies. So um, he's already in motion. Isaiah's already in motion, but this is taking him to a new level. But he's already been talking about the national spiritual crisis. So we got political crisis and national spiritual crisis. Anybody with me on this? Anybody kind of see stuff like this going on in America now? Okay. But notice what happens when the holy God, the consuming fire, actually conf confronts Isaiah with just a glimpse of who God really is in his holiness. Isaiah, the prophet, the holy man, maybe the holiest man in all Judah, right? All Jerusalem, becomes devastatingly aware of himself. All of a sudden, he's at the end of himself. You see what I'm saying? It's one thing to say, well, I got sin, but you know what? I got also got a message because these other people are more sinful than I am. And we got political crisis going on and we got national spiritual crisis going on. And now all of a sudden I am in the presence of holy God consuming fire. And that other stuff is not even what I start talking about, right? I start talking about and focusing on myself and my own total sinfulness in the presence of God. So now we've moved from political and spiritual desperation about the nation to personal desperation and devastation. I am ruined. I'm silenced. Dama. This is Isaiah, the holiest man in Judah in the presence of God. You encounter God, first thing that's going to hit you, it's about your total uncleanness in his presence. So let's move to confession, right? Confession. I said, woe is me. I'm silenced. I'm lost. Why? Why? Again, I emphasize this a lot last week. Not just because I'm a mortal man or not just because of this or that. You know, all these other things that are essential, that are key. But it's about the Lord's moral majesty, his word and his spirit. Now... Isaiah confesses, I'm a man of unclean language or lips, sefetayim, and I live among a people of unclean language and lips, sefetayim, okay? So he does the both and. It's a personal and then a corporate confession 
And here's what I want to focus you on today. If you're telling me, yeah, I already got the confession thing down. I say this and I do this and I repent this way and then I pay that fine and I go to the priest and say this or I'm a Protestant so I kind of do it this way, not exactly like the Roman Catholics do. I'm telling you, notice here what happens. In the awesome presence of God, Isaiah doesn't even get to where most of us want to go or inclined to go in our flesh. Do you hear what I'm saying? All he does is a flat-out confession. I'm lost. I have unclean lips. I have unclean language. In your presence, I am not worthy to say what that seraph just said. I can't even get close to praising you, God, because of who I am. Unclean and unclean language and lips in your presence and my association with my living among this people. That's all he says. That's all. That's the confession. Period. End of story. He does not say, as I said last week, well, I'm kind of bad, but I'm a lot better. I'm kind of your favorite, right, God? You did elect me and choose me, right? So those other people are bad, but you can kind of work on me, right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't even catch this, ask for purification. He doesn't ask for mercy. He doesn't ask for purification. He doesn't even get there in the presence of the consuming fire. Y'all notice this? I mean, this is really striking, isn't it? He doesn't say, oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Or, Lord, forgive me for my unclean lips and cleanse me somehow. He doesn't even get to asking for that. All he says is, I'm ruined. I'm lost. Here I am down here at the hem of your garment. And I can't even, you know, the only thing I can say is unclean lips. People of unclean lips. Unclean because the heart and the will and the character lead to the lips and the language, right? And what belongs to God, what is holy unto God, is not unclean and does not speak uncleanness. So in other words, Isaiah gets the picture. He's totally separate from the seraph who gets to say, holy, holy, holy about God and serve God. I thought I was serving you. I thought I had some kind of relationship with you, but now in your presence, all I can say is unclean. Which brings us to covering. Good news. From that just, you know, notice again, before I get off of this, Isaiah does not say, Lord, you know, I've been meaning to talk to you about this, or I'm glad I'm getting this audience with you. We've got a national political crisis. Uzziah just died, or he's about to die. And Lord, I'm just asking for you to fix our politics, because that's the most important thing in all eternity, right? What happens to the throne of Judah? What happens to the presidency of the United States? Let me just really lay it on you here, God. Does he do that? No, <laughs> ain't no way he's going to do that, right? Does he say, oh, Lord, just give us personal and national revival? No, he doesn't even do that. All he is is just confessing he's melted before God. So covering, covering. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. Having in his hand a burning coal, he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your here is second person masculine singular. Your guilt iniquity, your second person masculine singular, not the whole nation. Reed and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago, but just kind of digging into the Hebrew here. 
your guilt, your iniquity is removed, taken away, your second person singular sin is covered, is atoned for. Now, we don't know, as I said, if this is literally in the Jerusalem temple, this vision or this experience. But he says, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken off of with, with tongs from the altar, the mitzbeach. We don't know which altar. This really leans towards placing this in the temple, right? But remember, two major altars. I mean, there are various altars, but two major altars, the altar of burnt offering and the altar of incense, Okay, in the, holy of, in, the, in the holy place itself, heading towards the Holy of Holies. So you got burnt offering, right, altar, and incense. Which one? We don't know. We don't know. Um, and here comes this seraph with the burning coal, or actually it could be burning tile. You can translate that either way. Tile, like a burning stone from the altar, okay? Um, Big question, what's going to happen? If you had a seraph, a burning angelic being coming towards you with a burning coal, a burning tile, would you be feeling pretty comfortable about the whole situation right now? What's going to happen? Notice this is not, sorry, high church people, this is not a rose petal with dew or holy water on it. This is, <laughs> this is not what's coming for him. This is not a nice, cool bath in the morning. Burning coal or hot tile, ritzpah, covering. And it touched, he touched, literally can also mean struck my mouth with it, and said, behold, this has touched or struck your lips. Your guilt, your iniquity. Another sermon or Wednesday Bible studies for other days, but just let me remind you, there are a lot of words, several main words in the Old Testament for sin, iniquity, consequences of sin, debt from sin, those kind of things, okay? They're different words. Here we're talking about a bone, the twistedness that leads to sin, right? And the consequences. Uh, your guilt, your iniquity is removed, taken away. And then... Your sin is covered, atoned for. I've already reminded you of the term Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, the, the Day of Atonement. Let me just tell you a little bit of Hebrew here because this is really pretty important. The Hebrew verb kafar in its first meaning is to cover, but in the intensive construct of that verb, where the verb gets really serious, in other words, in the PL and the PUAL constructs, the verb means to pay the covering price, to pay the covering price, or to cancel, to cancel. So when you read this, same thing over in Leviticus, right? When you read about the sin being covered, it's not just, I read it as both and. It's being covered by the blood, but it is being canceled or paid for by the blood, which leads to, I mean, the fact that the noun kofer in Hebrew that comes from this verb and the intensive form of this verb literally means ransom price. And what does Jesus say? Remember, we studied Mark last year. Right? 
What does Jesus say? Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to do what? And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is circling us back around the rest of the Bible when he does that. What does Jesus say on the cross? Tetelestai. It is finished. Literally, what does that mean, folks? Some of y'all remember this, right? Paid in full. Which brings us back to even in the English language, when we talk about, I'm, you could say this, I'm going to pay your debt or I'm going to cover your debt. What does cover your debt mean? Does that mean I'm going to put a blanket over it? If I say, I've got your debt covered, what does that mean, folks, colloquially? What does that mean? That means I'm paying it, right? I'm not just covering it up, I'm paying it. And Jesus not only covers us in his righteousness, but he pays for our redemption, our ransom. This is what atonement means. Here we are, and right in Isaiah 6, we're reminded of, here is the way the consuming fire works for our redemption, our ransom, and to give us new life, to free us from sin. This is atonement. It's not, notice, notice this, don't get confused on this, it's not by the coal or the tile. Okay, those are used as means or instruments. You, you, are, not, you are not washed and cleansed forever, sanctified from sin by some water here, okay? This is an outward sign that God gives to us, right? You are not forgiven from sin and brought home to glory in heaven by the bread and the cup. But God gives us signs to understand the majesty, the magnitude, and the grace of what he's doing when his glory comes to us to save us. And when he pays the ransom price. When he pays the ransom price. Do this in remembrance of me. It is he himself who sanctifies us. The Trisagion, holy, holy, holy consuming fire who condescends in his glory and holiness and perfection to unite with the likes of us that we might not be decimated by his dealing with injustice and sin and wrong, but instead be brought home to him. Isn't that awesome? That's the good news. That's what atonement is. That's what the covering is going on. That's what the covering is about. Covering and covering. Forgive us our debts. There is a high cost to praying. Now, do you understand this? There's a high cost to praying. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us. Cover our debts. Pay it. Which brings us then to God's not wasting his time with us, right? We'll get into the calling more next week, but I did want to go ahead and bridge into this. From, right, the consuming fire to confession to covering atonement. He doesn't waste his time with us if he's covered you. If he's paid for your debt, you're called to action. And so Isaiah is clearly being called. He's already been serving the Lord, but now he's called at a new level. level. Now, after atonement, we'll take that up next Sunday. To those God gives atonement, God expects holy service. Those whom God redeems, he redeems on purpose 
to serve him. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you and we give thanks for your glory, your grace. Call us to understand the magnitude of who you are and the covering, the ransom you have paid for us and the purpose as we continue to grow and look ahead to next Sunday. Help us to live this week, Lord, on purpose in holy growth by your grace, by your Holy Spirit for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.